You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. For real, it is good to have people. Uh, it's good to talk to people. Um, as great as it is to talk to a tiny little camera in the center of this room, today I'm talking to people. And so we get to open God's Word. I have about 12 hours of stuff uh, to, to share with you, and, and I only have two hours to say it. So um, would you pray with me, and then we'll get rolling. Father, thanks so much for your goodness, your kindness, your grace for letting us come together and sing. Father, would you keep us mindful of you? Would you uh, protect us from ourselves and from the things uh, outside of us? And today, would you show us that our life in you is not about the things that we do, but it's about who we are because of who you are. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. What are the rules that's a question that we ask a lot. Whether you're, you're playing tag in the backyard or you're playing a board game, we ask the question, what are the rules? Uh, if we're trying to not get in trouble by our parents or, or a teacher or we're hoping to avoid a, a ticket as we drive or, or jail time, right? What are the rules? Uh, we await the governor's press conference uh, in, in times such as these, to hear him add or subtract rules of responsibility before we can leave the house. What are the rules? We ask that question when we pay taxes. Uh, when when a, a graphic designer starts a new project or, or a photographer tries to capture the perfect frame. Or if, if you're a writer, you might follow the, the rules of creative writing to bring the audience in and to take them on your journey. What are the rules? We are conditioned to function within the framework of boundary. And that's fair, right? Society uh, works within order, and that, that's okay. We probably ask the question, either consciously or subconsciously, Dozens of times a day, what are the rules? And even so, just because it is a rule, it doesn't mean that we won't break it. Right? As the saying goes, rules were meant to be broken. Uh, and I don't, kids, I don't think that's true. But that's what the saying is, right? Um, I know some who live to keep the rules. So the primary way that they engage and they navigate life is like, what is the rule because that's what I'm doing? And I know others who live simply to know the rules so that they might find a way around it or to bend the rules or to break it. And all that can be a bit crippling to navigate. It can be a difficult thing. And all of those things are simply for the authorities of the earth. But what if we zoom out a bit and we, can, we consider cosmic authority? We consider cosmic reality, God in three persons according to the scriptures. He created all that is from nothing, and he, and he sets the world and, and all that he has created spinning with rules, laws of physics, rules of governance and order. And so today, what we're trying to do today is answer one, one question, right? What does the Lord require? 
right? And, and in that journey, we, 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 might, uh, we, we might, as we try to figure out what it means, what must we do to please God? What are the rules that we must keep? That question will lead us to some other questions, but my hope is that it will free us to live differently, to, to not merely live for rules or as a slave to the rules or, or with the intention to break all the rules and not to live out of what we can't or what we shouldn't, but what we can and what we get to do. The Lord requires that his people do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with him. That's what, that's what we get to look at today. And so we're in Micah chapter 6. This is the seventh sermon in this series through Micah. And for some of you, um, we've been doing this every week for the last four months. And so if you didn't know that, then like we're super glad to have you re-engage with us. But so, so we're almost at the end. We have one more chapter left in the book of Micah that we've been walking through. And so if you haven't heard any of that, man, jump in there, open your Bibles this week, and, and listen to some of those past sermons, and it will help kind of get the context of where we're at. This is a, a minor prophet. He ministered to God's people around the same time that Isaiah did, who was a major prophet. That's why you probably know more about Isaiah than you do Micah. Um, but to be fair, if you know anything about Micah, it's this, this verse that we read today, right? It's, it's what the Lord requires, okay, um, to, to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with him. So uh, Micah has been kind of coming against God's people, and he's been telling them that God is going to judge them for their wickedness. So what we see here, Micah chapter 6, verse 1 through 5, we see this big idea. This is kind of point number one, right? The Lord has indicted his people. The Lord has indicted his people. Um, this week, my daughter, Ireland, and I, we went and we had, we had coffee together, and we do that fairly regularly. And so we sit down, and we were playing a, a card game, and we are just talking about you know, the, the desire that we have within us to cheat sometimes and like, man, I just want to win, right? And I, I just want to beat her and it, and it doesn't happen very often. But we were talking about cheating and it reminded me of a story of when I was in first grade, I was in gym class and, and we were doing these things where everybody was participating, like, like we would jump rope until like the last person messed up and the last person fell and they would win, right? And then after we did the jump rope thing, which I don't think I fared too well in that, but the next thing we did was we just hopped on one leg, right? We were just hopping on one leg for, for an extended period of time in gym class. And now I don't have a ton of skill, but what I do have is determination within me, right? And so it gets down to just a couple people left, and, and one of them is, is my neighbor and, and like literally lived near me, and we, we kind of didn't get along really that great, and so I'm like, it's, it's over, right? I got you. It's over. And so I'm hopping. It, it gets down to just me and him. And I'm looking over, and I'm hopping on my right foot, and, and so is he, and I look over again, and, and the gym teacher's kind of just walking around towards me and then towards him, and I look over, and he's hopping on his left foot. Now, that's like lawbreaker, you know? And so I'm looking, and I'm like little first grade me, like, hey, that's not okay. That's, but I'm like, it, within me, I'm like, what, what, can, what can I do, right? I, I'm powerless here. And so, so she turns, the gym teacher, she turns towards me, and each time, like, and then, and then at one point, he switched while I was watching him as if to, like, give me a wink, like, yeah, like, I'm corrupt. What are you going to do about it, you know? 
And so within me, I'm like, oh, and, and, and what happened as, I, I, I believe, right, my memory of this is not crystal clear, but I believe the bell rang, and it was like, well, it was a tie. And in my heart, I was like, surely it was not a tie. Man, that, that is a, a small deal in the scheme of life. But, but there are big deals that seem to be treated the same way. That, that the teacher turned a blind eye. Surely she saw him. She should have been. She should have been watching him. And so things like that happen in life, and we say, how can that person get away with it? And what I want us to know as we've been looking at God's justice is, is God doesn't let things like that small and, and much, much more severe. He, he doesn't turn a blind eye. He, he doesn't let uh, the person get away with it. And so what we see here is an indictment. It is a formal charge against God's people. And so it's, that's courtroom language. If you see a courtroom and you see a case, someone will say they're, they're bringing the indictment to the defendant. They're indicting them with a formal charge. And this isn't the first time that we're going to see in just a minute. This isn't the first time that Micah comes in guns blazing against God's people. In fact, in chapter 2, he charged them and he said that, that God's people have zero regard in their hearts for the weak and the poor. And God's not going to stand for that. And then, and then in chapter 3, he says that they use power not for the good for everyone, but, but just for themselves. And then, then he goes on and, he, and he, he paints this picture of God's people being unjust and selfish, me-centered living. And he's saying that that has become a way of life for them. And God's message to them is that this is not okay. And you might think it's all the people around you, but what he's saying is, is you're the problem. Your heart is the problem. So the Lord through Micah, he's, he's, he's letting them have it, right? He, he's, giving, he's giving them the business, as they say, right? And so I can just hear myself or a, a frustrated parent speaking like this. And so let's jump in in, in verse 1. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you, mountains, the indictment of the Lord and the enduring foundations of the earth. And so what he's saying is the mountains have been here forever. And if, if they could testify to who you are, they would know, right? We have a long history that this indictment is coming against. And he says, oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I bring you up. I'm sorry, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent, Pete, I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. And he goes on and he gives the history. And so, so what he's saying is, I, I've heard your excuses and I've heard your, your pleas and I'm not hearing it. So, so you can go tell someone else, you can scream it to the mountains because my patience is up with your words not matching your actions and I'm done with your wayward heart. And he goes on, he says, so, so you're telling me that I'm the problem? That's what God is saying to his people. So you're telling me that I'm, so I'm to blame for you using your power to keep others low? I'm the problem? You're saying that I've wearied you? Can you imagine a kid, and, and a, a parent being frustrated because the kid continually does what the parent doesn't ask? I know you can't imagine that. But just imagine a world in which that was a reality. And imagine the kid saying, gosh, you're so frustrating, mom. 
Yeah, I'm the frustrating one. You're the one, right? That's kind of the dialogue that's going on here. So, So you're saying that I've wearied you? Imagine my position. Do you remember what I've done for you? And then he says, what have I done for you? What, what have I done for you? I'll tell you what I've done for you. I'll tell you, I, I delivered you from Egypt and freed you from slavery. And I gave you leaders, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And I've, I've given you a rich history to show you my saving acts. I've done nothing but care for you, deliver you, bring you out of, of something into something else, a relationship with me, and, and a relationship with me that should be reflected to your neighbor, to those around you. You're selfish, and your selfish living has become a pattern that flows from your heart. That's, that's no longer just what you do, son. It's who you are. And, and for me... Gosh, that is tough. It makes me uncomfortable to think that someone would say that to me, to think that it would be true, and to think that it would be the Lord who would be telling me that. It's not just your actions. Your heart is broken. Gosh. So, God's law reminds us that we are not God. And, and that is a good thing, right? That, that we are in desperate need in our unrighteousness. And he paints out for us ideals and, and, and the prescription for human flourishing, for the way that we work best. And, and rules exist where the human heart fails to love God and neighbor. That's why rules exist. So God's design for creation and humanity has, has always been that we live with him as our highest prize. And when we do that, then we love up and, and we love out. So the basic point that, that this is saying is, is doing the things, right? Keeping the rules. It's, it's not the same as walking with God. It, it's not about the rules. It's about walking with me and letting that shape you through love for love. And so if that's what he's saying to them, then what might, what might the indictment against us in our culture, and in particular, our church culture, at such a time as this, when it, when it feels like the world has lost its ever-loving mind? Well, th- there's the obvious thing that, that we would forsake the Lord, or we would forsake his word, or we would neglect empathy, or we would misuse power, or we would fail to remember all these things. And so, so the obvious, complete negligence as a culture to acknowledge God, like, you, that's a thing, right? We know that's a thing, that the world around us uh, they don't live as if God ex- exists, as if he is, as if he rules and reigns. But, but here's the thing. That's not the biggest problem. That's not the biggest problem for God's people. Like, like God wasn't expecting the Assyrians to obey the laws that Israel was covenanted to. He was not expecting those outside of his people to, to behave. So, so what that means for us is in just a few months when it's Christmas time, like, you, I, I'm, I'm helping your heart today. You should not expect uh, Starbucks to have a, a sound theology in their holiday greetings. And so you can 
protest and you can do whatever you want. But why would you expect people who don't, who don't even attempt to walk with the Lord to behave as if they did walk with the Lord? And here's the thing. You, you don't want that. Right? Like we want people to do good and be good, but, but not in a, in, a, in a fake way. And so th- that, that, that's one thing. So, so the, the bigger danger in our times or for the people in this room, the bigger danger for us is, is Christians forsaking God's word. And, and we do that in, in several ways, both near and far. One, we just complete negligence. That you claim to be in Christ, you claim to be a Christian, and, and you forsake this book. We know that's a thing. But, but more commonly, in the subtlety of filtering God to paint a God of our own making. And so this is the way you hear it. Now, I just can't imagine a God who would fill in the blank. No, yeah, like I, I can't worship a God who would do that, all right? And, and what you've already done when you, when you say those words are you put a filter on anything that you might glean about God's true nature in this book. And so you can't filter before truth. And, and what we get to do is we get to read and interpret and put all of this stuff together to figure out who the one true God is. And, and the danger in that is, is inconsistency with what we believe to be true and the way that we live. To believe in God and, and live as if we are God. We can't do that. And beyond that, and I think this is the longest point, so like just hang on, right? And and I haven't I haven't preached to people in a while, so just cut me some some slack, all right? Beyond that, when we when we live to associate ourselves with someone or something or a movement or a church or a book or a pastor or a party or or a mayor or anyone or anything else in a way that makes God's rule and God's reign over our life secondary. And we said this on repeat. I've said this a thousand times in the last four months through individual conversations and collectively that, that, man, we can't, for those who are in Christ, we can't hitch our wagon to anything other than God in his word. Because when we do, when that thing goes off of the tracks, when it goes off of the rails, so too goes our wagon. So we can't, we, we can't hitch ourselves primarily. No political figure will be someone's savior, not today and not on November 4th, because all of humanity is flawed and corrupt, and, and even the redeemed struggle to live in such a way. There's no way that your guy or your woman or your party or your movement or your race will meet the deepest desires of human void. There's no way that we can walk in the ways of God and be completely aligned on every ticket item of any of those things. You have to know that. And when we start there, then we can begin to to step a little bit to the left and a little bit to the right and a little bit forward and a little bit backward and have helpful dialogue, which is impossible in the world outside of us. So we start there, and, and, and we ask some questions. Do you defend fraud, or do you defend corruption, or do you defend dehumanizing or, or oppression or, or uh, instigating or antagonizing, or do you defend abuse of power or, or slanted dialogue that creates subcategories for human dignity where one cannot step to the left or to the right without being dumped into a cultural narrative category on either side? 
Man, I know that's lofty. And for some of you, you don't have to listen to that. But, but for some of you, please listen to that. Or, or what about failing to remember, which seems to be the indictment? God says, look at what I've done for you. How can, how can our relationship be so broken when I've done so much for you? Have you forgotten what, what I've saved you from? Or are, are you dabbling with sin that, that when fully grown will kill you? Have you forgotten what, what God has saved you for and invited you into to live as light in the dark world around you? Or maybe a, a good reflection is just, man, in the exile that we've been living in for three or four months, or we haven't been gathering together with a church like this, as you look at your life and you evaluate and you say, gosh, am I spiritually alive? Does my soul have a heartbeat? Am am I walking humbly with the Lord? Am am I thriving in my relationship with him? And and it might take a hit because the church is meant to gather. But but if you were in exile, not able to gather together and, and, uh, and you've not at all cracked this book and you've not feasted upon the word or, or you might be starved in your relationship with God because you find out that, that it wasn't really a relationship with God that you had but it was a time slot on Sunday morning. We have to ask those questions. So all this, an indictment, it, it's a formal charge in the way that God's people are not walking as God's people. They're breaking all the rules but trust me, that's not the heart of the issue. And the second thing is this. The Lord has revealed his requirement. Are you ready for it? Like here's the, here's the, the Pinterest line. Here's, here's the, the coffee cup line, the, the Instagram post, the wall decor. Here's Hobby Lobby's cash cow. Are you ready for it? He has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And for all that is and for all that's not, I've read that, you know, a thousand times this week. And I think I'm finding my soul stirred by those words to just like sigh deeply and say, that is good, that is good news. That, man, for, for all the things that I have to be about and for all the things that I have to do, this is what's good. It's, it's to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with my God. That is such an encouragement, but, but the reality is it's not so simple. Before we define some terms and, and kind of boil that down, let's read the context, right, of what's going on here. Uh, I'm going to read verses 6 and 7, which leads us to to 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, for my sin, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul. And then he goes on. He, he has told you, O oh man, what is good? What, do, what does the Lord require? To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly 
with your God. So before that, he tells us that these are not the things. Before he declares what is required, Micah speaks some appropriately pointed, kind of snarky lines about what is not the heart of God's requirement for us to walk with him. To the Jews, to those that are hearing this, the the center of their life is worship through animals and sacrifice in the temple. That was the heartbeat of a life with God for them. They were weekly making sacrifice to cover their sins. And what we get to do is we get to come together and remember the sacrifice that has already been uh, doing the work to overcome our sin. So we take communion because there's no sacrifice left. There's one for all. That's what we get to do. So the questions are, what, what gives me the right to stand before God? And I, 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 I urge you to consider the same thing. What is it that you think lets you stand before God? With, with what can I please God? What, what must I do? Perfect animals? Endless sacrifices? My firstborn? That, that's what he's saying. Like, and he's being, uh, he's being like uh, extra is what he's being. But at the same time, this was commonplace in the pagan societies around them, that they would sacrifice their children to false gods. And you might say, well, wow, that is uh, quite an, an uncivilized society. And then I would only say this. Maybe that's true, but we don't sacrifice children to, to foreign gods or to, or to please God. We sacrifice children for personal comfort through the modern legal, and culturally acceptable practice of abortion. So before you put yourself and say, gosh, those people, they, they were rough, but man, look at us because we're not so... No, I, I think we, we have the same fractured hearts, the same wayward hearts as they did. So the question is, will our sacrifice be enough to forgive? And for us... You know, I can give all my money to the church and I can go on mission trips and, and what if I keep my kids in line and, and, and sacrifice them and, and even my own flesh and, and what if I listen to the right podcast and I read the right blogs and the right books and I vote the right way and, and, and stay away from, from pornography and I don't gossip and I, and I don't overspend on earthly indulgence. If I do all those things, then man, that's probably enough. I heard a guy yesterday at a ball field, somebody say, hey, we haven't seen you around church. And he said, I've been doing other things for the church. As if to equate, he said, now I set up the sound system. and This was not here, all right? It wasn't Richard, okay? Um, just, but, but for real. It was real life living out of this, this like, man, we haven't seen you around. I, I've been doing church. What do you mean? No, I've been, I've been serving. I've been doing all the things. I've been giving money. And I've been giving time. As if to say that, isn't that enough to please God? Isn't that enough to let me spend eternity with him and walk with him all the days of my life? I mean, I mean those are fine things. Do those things, right? Fine, well, and good, but, uh, but rules will not give you life. And, and, and God is not merely concerned with rules. He, he always weighs the heart, and out of the heart, our lives flow. Jesus 
said it this way to some people who kept all the rules, right? And if there was anybody that he was picking fights with, as we read in the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, anybody that Jesus is picking fights with, it's not the outcast. It's not those that, that, that had terrible lives and made horrible decisions. It's those that, that lived as if they were perfect. And so he said, you uh, Pharisees, you hypocrites, you tithe your, your mint and dill and cumin. It would be the equivalent of saying, that's great. You, you give a tenth of the spices in your pantry to the Lord. That's really good that you do that. You are so committed to, to giving your things to the Lord that, that you even, you're tithing uh, mustard and ketchup and mayonnaise, right? But you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. That's great. You give. But you've neglected the things that matter, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And he goes on on this roll, this is in Matthew 23, and he says, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup. It's like my kids doing dishes, right? I love you guys, right? You clean the outside of the cup and the outside of the plate, but, but the stench is on the inside of the cup and on the inside of the plate. And, and he goes on and he says, uh, you, uh, you're, you're self-indulgent, you're full of greed, Right? And, and then he says, you're like whitewashed tombs. He says, man, you, you, have a, you yourself are a beautiful casket. Gosh, look at it, ornate and beautiful. And you reek like death on the inside. So I, I hope that you're seeing that God is not primarily concerned with us keeping all the rules I missed you, Mark Powers. What you do flows from who you are, and it's never, it's never the other way around. So what does it mean to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with the Lord? Well, I, I think that we can't do justice and we can't love kindness if we don't first walk humbly with the Lord. Um, the, the last part is key. We don't drift into walking with God. We must begin there and we let our mind and our heart and our, our hands and our feet follow. To know God is to be humbled. You don't, you don't know God rightly and, and, and look in a mirror and know yourself rightly without it transforming the core of who you are. To know God rightly is to, is to humble us. It, it's such a misconception that, that, that Christians start loving and then they please God. That, that is never the way that it works in, in all of Scripture and our relationship with God. But because Christ has pleased God, we delight in his love to us. And then we get to live on his behalf. And we get to let justice flow down through us and love and kindness through us. So what of those requirements, right? To do justice. Well, the problem is everyone has their own idea of what that looks like. And when you don't do what they think you should do, then you're just not doing justice enough. To do justice, it's, it's more than retribution. It's more than just making up for things. It's more than punishing wrongs. 
It, it certainly brings criminals to justice, right? Um, but the heart of justice spilled all over the pages of God's word is, is uh, as one uh, Stephen Um, a, a commentator, he says this, it's more than simply punishing wrong, but it's creating a situation in society where everything is right. A society where every last person in it, including the most vulnerable and the weakest, can flourish and thrive. That's what doing justice is according to the Bible. So what is what is your aim in doing justice? Is it to bring about this peace in the culture and the community around us? What about to love kindness? It's uh, the word kindness is, is this unqualified, limitless love. It is a stubborn, unceasing love that says, I refuse to give up on you even if everyone else tells me that I should, even when there's nothing in it for me to gain. That's what God is calling his people to walk in. I'm sure you probably heard of the, the, the little six-year-old kid and the dog attack story. Maybe you haven't. It's like that, a two-year-old daughter who was kind of in harm's way, and this, this six-year-old kid, his, her big brother, he jumps in, and he just gets devoured, barely escapes with his life, um, his just face bitten to pieces, and he just looks terrible. You know what he said? My dude. He said, if somebody had to die that day, it might as well have been me. Like, I need to talk to that kid's parents. He's a a, a tenacious and selfless defender of the vulnerable. That's what we get to do. We get to lift others up even when it costs us. And the beauty and the freedom of this is that everyone, they can't be everyone to everything. And and where even just something like that, like do justice and say yes, and then immediately what does it mean? And then we have bullet points of pet projects that that people get caught up in. And and to think that that we can or, or to think that others are immature because they aren't as about your thing as you are, gosh, it's not helpful. Be about your thing. Whatever it is that God has birthed within you to stand up for and to fight for and to engage in and to come alongside. Be about that thing, but know that not everybody can be about that thing and and others can be about other things. And that's the beauty of the diversity of God's people is we get to be righteous defenders in whatever outlet we have and whatever gifts and influence that God has given us. That is, a, that is a beautiful thing, all right? But in, in, when we start coming at others because they're not about our thing, it's, it's reckless and it's loveless and it's not giving benefit of doubt and it's, it's self-indicting because, because you're not about their thing. So we get to love well. We get to be righteous defenders. But look, we are not, we are not defined by our activism. This is really, really important. We are not defined by our position in this life. In fact, Jesus empowers us to overcome our position in the life. 
right? Um, we, we are not defined by our activism or our position in life. We are not defined by what we do or, or who we save or what courtroom we stand in or what protests we show up for or what rally cry we join or what rally cry we don't join. We are not defined by the works of our hands, but we are defined by the works of Christ's hands who laid down his life that we might be united with his life and with the Father by the work of the Spirit and the power of Christ and him crucified. That's what defines us. We're not defined by our justice. We're defined by the, the injustice that Jesus walked in to empowers us, that, that empowers us to do justice from the overflow of our heart. Somebody else was uh, in the scriptures in, in John 6. They were trying to figure out what they had to do to be doing all the things, to be doing the work. And they said, what must we do, Jesus, to be doing the works of God? And he answered them. He said, this is the work of God. I want you to think about what it might be. To show up, to do the things, to give all the things, to, to do justice, to do, like, to, to, this is what he said. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This, this is what it means to do. The, when we believe, then we are transformed. Actually, before we believe, we are transformed. But, but we are transformed to walk with God, which allows justice and loving kindness to flow through us. Those in the Old Testament, they did this by faith through the law. But we, we do this by faith in the one who fulfilled the law, and his name is Jesus. So to answer the question of what the Lord requires, it, it, it isn't answered by the rules, but by a heart that walks humbly with him, that loves up and that loves out. The, the Lord requires that his people do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with him. The last thing is this. The Lord has made known his response. And this is kind of a, a dark way to end this chapter. He says, shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and deceitful weights? He's basically saying that the shady business guy that, that you all are. Shall I acquit the man with, with wicked scales and, and deceitful weights, the violent, the liars who spew deceit? Therefore, I will strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. And he goes on, he says, because his people have forsaken him, you shall eat and not be full. You shall save and, you, and, and not keep. What you do save, you'll be robbed of. What you sow, you will not reap. You'll smash olives and you'll not have oil to anoint. You will tread grapes and you'll have nothing to drink because you have fallen for false gods. Is this judgment to his people? Yeah. Is this the, the natural consequence, the natural harvest of sowing seed apart from the Lord? Absolutely. Man, I heard of a friend from elementary school, middle school, and high school this week who, who died tragically. He died in a motorcycle crash. He crashed into a semi-truck on a motorcycle while running from the police 
after a drug deal went sideways that they were that the police were watching. And the saddest part of that is, is that he is one of a group of about seven or eight dudes that I went to school with for, for a long, long time. Right? I haven't seen him in a long, long time. But, but of these seven or eight guys, there is one who's still alive on this earth. All the others, like this, this huge group of friends, all the others have died in, in, uh, in similar, tragic, dramatic ways like this. And, and when I see that, literally on the news or my news feed, lifeless body, body bag, sheet covering him on the pavement, it's a visible reminder that sin's end is the way of death. And it's so easy to measure my life against the life of others and, and prop myself up. None of us do justice. None of us love kindness. None of us walk with God in a way that measures up. There's nothing we can do to earn God. To be very clear, Micah is making known the Lord's response to injustice. His lack, uh, the, the lack of love that they demonstrate, the failure to walk humbly with him. And it's so obvious, it's in his destruction that they will be cast off. So what then? Are we without hope? Well, by our own strength, by our own merit, yes. But, but the hope and the beauty in all of this for us is that God sent another to do what we could not that God sent another to stand in the gap between God's law and our injustice. God sent another to bear the fruit of the seeds that we've sown. Our end was death, and Jesus died in our place. When we understand that, we get to, to come to a place to where we can then begin to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Now, end with this. There's a story in the, the Gospels about two brothers. The older brother, he kept all the rules, and the younger son, he didn't like the rules. And he went to his dad, and he said, Dad, give me my inheritance now so that I might spend it now. And, and in a crazy twist in the ancient Near East, the father said, Okay, son, here's your money. And he goes out and he spends it on everything, like women and, and all kinds of things that were destructive to him. And he finds himself poor, and, and he's serving as a servant, feeding pigs, wishing that he could eat what the pigs were eating. And he comes to his, the, the, the Bible says he comes to himself, and he says, my father has servants that are eating better than me right now. I will go home. I will confess that, that I've done wrong, that I've sinned against my father, and I will ask if I can be a servant. So he gets himself together, and he, and he, he heads home. And the father, he looks down the driveway and he sees him a long way off. And he runs to him. And the son begins to recite his speech. Dad, I know I'm a fool. I've forsaken you. I've sinned against you. And he says, shut your mouth, son. You're home. You were dead, but now you live. Come. And he has his servants fire up the grill. Get that smoker going, and, and let's have the, the fattened calf, and let's have a party, and, and get my son a robe and, a, and his, his family ring, and get him some new shoes for pity's sake. And there's a party, but you know what? The older brother, 
He says, Dad, I'm not going to this party. It's not fair. It's not right. I've been here the whole time, and I've obeyed you every step of the way. And you never even, you never even had a, a goat for me. Where's my party, Dad? And he said, son, you know that everything I have is yours. Your brother has come home. He was lost and he has been found. He was dead and now he lives. See, these two brothers help us understand that that this life is not about the rules. Right? Both misunderstood the intersect between rule and heart. One neglected and he wrote his own rules. And the other, he kept every rule and both did so for selfish gain. God wants your heart. Because, because of Jesus, our life in him is not one of technicality. And, and the first thing to go in a life of technicality is love. He doesn't want a relationship with you based on technical terms, but he wants your devotion. And and when he is ours, then we love up and we love out. The Lord requires that his people do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with him. Father, thank you so much for your goodness that we get to gather together as your family. Would you do in us what we cannot do? We need you. Would you let us do justice today? Would you let us love kindness today? And would you let us walk humbly with you because of the Spirit's work in us to show us what Christ has done when we could not? We love you and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen.